My next guest this morning was in the news this week as he donated his personal archive to the National Library. When the AIDS epidemic hit New York in the early 90s, he did all he could and more to care for the sick and dying. Well, the Clareborn, former priest, supported countless gay men who'd been shunned by, by, the, by their families and, look, by society at large, while at the same time seeing many of his own friends succumb to the virus. And Bernard Lynch joins me now. Good morning, Bernard. Good morning, Miriam. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you absolutely perfectly. And I know you pronounce your name, Bernard. Listen, can tell me first of all a little about yourself, where you grew up and when you decided to become a priest. Well, I grew up in Ennis County, Clare, and at school, Christian Brothers School. Of course, everything was in Irish, through Irish, um, even Latin. So my name went from Bernard to Bernard, and I, I really liked that pronunciation. Mm. And um, I like the Irish. So, uh, yeah, I grew up in Ennis, and I wanted to be a priest for as long as I can remember. Um, I, I used to, um, I think, said, uh, I, I, I used to dress in my mum's dress as a little boy and get some Marietta biscuits and, and, and water and, and um, to try and get some of my friends to come to mass. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, was, it was way back, sort of a great attraction to the church because in Ennis of that time, Ennis was a very different town. It's a very prosperous town today. Uh, you know, the, the church was everything, the, the pro-cathedral as it was then, and the high drama of pre-Vatican II liturgy. Um, you know, everything from Tenebrae to the Gregorian chant to mm. the processions. It was all very entertaining and, and, and fascinating. And Bernard, you then ended up, I know, as a priest in the Archdiocese of New York. We like take us back to those early 80s and tell me a little bit of what you were seeing. I know you founded the first ministry to help people with AIDS in the city. <clears throat> yes. Well, you know, AIDS, you know, came like a a bolt of lightning, really, and we didn't know what was happening. The medical establishment didn't know. Um, primarily in San Francisco and New York, they would have been the first hubs in the Western world. And uh, then, of course, it was perceived, and rightly so, that it was a cancer, Kaposi sarcoma. Mainly that one would get in Eastern countries in much older age, but this was happening to younger men, younger gay men. And, uh, you know, the, it would ultimately lead to death, Kaposi sarcoma uh, combined with pneumocystis carini, and people started to kill themselves because there was no way to cure it and there was no diagnosis and because it was diagnosed in a well to say we were a hated sexual minority is true um it became we were scapegoated i guess by the establishment uh, the the state i mean Ronald Reagan never talked about it until his friend Rock Hudson died of it. Mm. And you know, the, the New York Times wouldn't publish anything about it in the beginning. Um, 
we were pariahs, you know, and 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 a lot of the people that were pariahed were Irish and Irish American. Uh, and Bernard, it's just so interesting you mentioned that Rock Hudson there. Tam, remind us of this incredibly moving story. I mean, people were ashamed, they were terrified. But remember the Irish mother you collected at JFK and she asked you that question about Rock Hudson, about her son. Tell us that story. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, well, of course, we couldn't talk about it in Ireland either. You know more Ireland than I do. But... When she came off the plane, I said, you, you you know, you recognize me. I'll be wearing my Roman collar and I'll have a baseball cap. And <laughs> she came off the plane on her, on her own and she just made her way to me. And she said, um, does Michael have the Rock Hudson disease? And I, I said, you yes, ma'am, he does. He does. And... Um, I'll, I'll take you to the hospital in the North Bronx. Um, and she was devastated. I mean, she hadn't, he hadn't come out to her as gay. Mm. But he was, you know, coming out as gay and coming out to die. And, and um, there were many such cases. I mean, the mother that was afraid to touch her son until I went into the hospital and by that time, I, I knew you couldn't get it by touching, and she was just paralyzed at the bed. And I, I put my arms around him, as I would, and I said, you know, Vera, you, you can't touch him. You, you won't get it. And she was so relieved. I mean, her son was dying. She was so relieved just to be able to... So the, the ignorance was profound. It was just fear. But wasn't that mother you picked up the other? Didn't she actually get up and speak at her son's funeral? And like, she was incredibly brave for that time, Bernard. It, incredibly. And she was, you know, her daughter flew in from England later to accompany her. And, she, and the husband didn't. And she said to me, I mean, it's typical, be kind of typical of my own mother, you know, don't mm. tell your father, he won't be able to handle it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. um, so, um, and, and, and the church was full, St. Francis Xavier, you know, of, of, of Michael's friends uh, and uh, associates. And I was being very careful with her, trying to support her. And she was sitting in the congregation. I went down at towards at the communion after communion. I said, "Would you like to? Would you like to say a few words?" And she said, "I will." So she came up, and I can see it as if it were today. We're all sitting there, and this Irish woman, Irish farming class woman never used to speaking in public in her, I would say, 50s. And she stood at the ambo at the altar and all she said, um, I want to thank you. I want to thank you all. You are Michael's real family. Well, Miriam, there wasn't, (laughs) I know this is exaggerated, but Mm. it's not. There wasn't a dry because you had you had you had boys and men there whose families, you know, didn't mm. want to have anything to do with them. 
no contact. They were diagnosed. Their time was limited. And here is an Irish country woman with a beautiful Irish accent. Yeah, incredibly courageous, Bernard. I actually think a lot yeah. of your life, including that, is a scene from a movie. Somebody needs to do a film about you. Now, you went on The Late Late. You got amazing reaction in 1987. <clears throat> and in the end, you, you, you left the priesthood and you came out yourself, didn't you? And now you're happily married to Billy. Yes, thank you. Well, Miriam, I, I was kicked out of the priesthood because I came out as gay. Like, I would never have left the priesthood, and I wasn't mm-hmm. married to Billy at that time. As soon as I said I was gay, I told the truth, and I wasn't the first, I'm not the first gay priest, mm-hmm. as you well know. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I said I'm gay, and I had no choice, I would say I fell out of my closet. I had to publicly identify who I am with those I was ministering to. Otherwise, I would have felt a total hypocrite. And um, I, I met Billy afterwards, a long time. I came, I, you know, we're winding mm. forward uh, um, after I came to London. And the amazing thing is, Bernard, you came back in 27 and you and Billy, you had your wedding in Clare, which was, was that incredibly special to you that you could come back to where you grew up and marry the man you love? Well, you know, I came back and I always had this great grow for the earth from which I made. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a woman or man who are alienated from their country are alienated from themselves. And I, I, I came back and I wanted, even as a little boy, even though mm-hmm. <laughs> I was saying mass at 10, I always wanted a boyfriend. I didn't know what that was about. Mm. But you see, going into adolescence, I had very good friends and I still have some of them in Ireland, straight, straight boys, straight men. But they, they, they would love me as their pal, but I would fall in love, especially in adolescence. And I never dreamt I would marry one. <laughs> and Bernard, the thing is, and I have obviously subbed it here, but you were so good and caring to all those young men you came across during your days in New York. And you had this extraordinary archive. When you look back on those days, do you feel a sense of sadness or a great sense of pride in what people like you tried to do? I don't mean to sound, I don't see any pride. I am proud of the young men. They gave more, far more, far, far more mm-hmm. than I ever gave. I mean, you always get more than you give when you serve, and I did. My life would have been radically different. I mean, they are the invincible courage through which I live and move and have my being. They gave, they gave Miriam, and I, br- I brought them home. That's my duty. It's quote unquote my last act at a level to them. You but did. They are. They're me. You did extraordinary work for them, Bernard, and it was your love for them. Listen, we could talk for hours. As I say, your life is a movie, really. Somebody should make it. Bernard, thank you so much for joining me today from London, and that's it from us for today. 